Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Black Panther. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. Uh, but also movies and the, the dead zone, the wasteland that is, you know, January and I guess early February has been absolutely shattered by the presence of of black panther it's like huge everybody's seen it everybody's talking about it um and just like we've done cast on basically all of the marvel movies since we started the podcast it feels like maybe that's not necessarily true yeah it feels I, like once we started covering movies we've i think we've done every marvel movie like like uh not that it's a marvel movie but we, we managed to miss the last jedi which was like not The Last Jedi, uh, The Force Awakens, which was like yeah. four months into the start of the cast. But yeah, I'm sure there was another one we missed. But uh, I think we've hit every superhero movie. Uh, so uh, so yeah, so Black Panther. So Black Panther came out, and uh, and we're gonna and we're gonna talk about it, I guess. Um, but before we get into spoiler stuff, do you want to just do like a spoiler free overview? Uh yeah sure. Um, I I think I'm just gonna limit it to like a very basic opinion. Um. I thought it was a solid movie. Um, I'd say solid B plus A minus. Um, it didn't particularly wow. impress me, but I thought it was decent. Wow. Um, uh, be- because I was curious, I actually uh, uh, stack ranked all of uh, all of the Marvel movies to see if it was top half for me, and it wasn't. It was just Jeez. below. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was just below, but that's that's not an indictment against the movie or anything. It just means that I liked. Again, it was, like, right in the middle there, and I also have some odd preferences around, say, uh, uh, Ant-Man. Like, I think most people would rank Ant-Man below it, but I rate it, rank it above it because I love Ant-Man so much. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I, th- I thought it was solid, but nothing special. If you like Marvel movies, you like this movie. Interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, I guess maybe it's not that interesting because I have seen that kind of reaction um, out there amidst people going, like, batshit bad shit insane uh Uh, what's your opinion buddy well not to add to the chorus but i'm pretty sure this is my new favorite marvel movie and it's probably the best marvel movie but i but i'm also hesitant about that just because i haven't seen it twice and i i feel like i need to see these these movies twice really at the end of the day i kind of almost feel like Marvel movies are all, generally speaking, watchable, um, but some of them are forgettable and some of them are rewatchable, right? Uh, and so, for instance, uh, I would rate anything like Ant-Man, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming from last year, basically everything from Phase 1 except for Iron Man and the Avengers, you know, like, so Cap 1, Thor 1, Iron Man 2, The Incredible Hulk, like... A lot of these movies just aren't very rewatchable. It's like they're fine in the theater and then you get out of it and they're just like bubblegum. They're like gone kind of thing. But then there are those ones that stick with you, right? Guardians, Guardians 2, um, you know, The Avengers, Age of Ultron, uh, Cap Civil War, maybe that's kind of on the line for me, Winter Soldier, right? Um, and uh, and like wh- where those things pan out, like what, what comes into what category of the other is really tough for people. Um, but, uh, you know... This movie, man, this movie was so great. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the specifics, but I highly, highly recommend it. I think it is uh, definitively the best Marvel movie that they have uh, ever put out, and it is very likely to take my top spot uh, from Age of Ultron, who I guess has been reigning champ for three years. 
Yep. Well, you know, uh, is is that all we want to do for? Uh, yeah, I guess from now spoiler. on, fucking spoilers, right? Yeah, spoilers. Spoilers. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, um, go see it. Or if you don't care, listen. I guess. But uh, spoilers from here on out. Okay, so I guess I, I okay, so I want to start the spoiler discussion. I don't really want to do this, but I kind of do do this just because. Uh, this is my hot take. This is my hot take. Um, I said in the I said in uh, in one of the in one of the chats that we're in that this movie shares just as much DNA with a movie like Man of Steel uh, that it does with one of the typical Marvel movies. I've actually this is a line that I've been using a lot, right? Like for instance, Rachel doesn't really like typical Marvel movies, but I was like, no, this is not one of those, you know what I mean? And all of those problems that you and I get bent out of shape about when it comes to, like, the formula or whatever, it, like, dodges and weaves or whatever. How much do you agree with that statement? Or do I need... I, I can also explain what I mean a little bit further if you want. Oh, well, why don't you do that for, for the folks at home? Like, Okay, like, okay. So, um, so, so some of the typical problems that I have with Marvel movies uh, revolve around... Uh, essentially just like stakes, right? If there's anything that really attracts me, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that attracts me to Man of Steel, right? Like the way the action is shot. I love that Zod is like a real actual fascist and not kind of like a Nerf foam dummy fascist. Um, uh, but like one of the big, biggest aspects of this is just that the movie has stakes, right? And it's really easy. Like I just get carried away and invested in the fact that the world, you know what I mean? That there's a lot going on and that the world is going to be destroyed, right? Like all that stuff, it sells me on that. Whereas something like even a movie I like quite a bit, right? Like Age of Ultron doesn't really sell me on its stakes because of the way that the action is shot and because of the way that they frame, you know, like the villain and they don't really explain what his plan, you know, like, yeah, Yada, yada, right? This is a movie that had very good stakes, both on a personal level, right? I could really feel kind of, uh, you know, T'Challa's, uh, ha how hard it is for T'Challa to step into the role that he was stepping into, right? Like, as a king. Not only, and by the way, not only could I feel that, but that is, like, something that I go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over. Like, this kind of thing, man. Like, this kind of, like, story, like... Shakespearean politics and intrigue and shit like that. Oh, man, I go nuts for it. But anyway, um, so I got into that, but also in the sense of, like, where, you know, the, the, like, the state of, like, Wakanda is held in jeopardy, right? Like, that battle that came at the end is one of the, is kind of one of the few Marvel movie battles that felt like there was, um, you know, like, there was kind of, like, real skin in the game, if that makes sense. Uh, which is not something that I feel with other, with, with, with others of these movies. Um, specifically, uh, though I will, I will say that the fact that nobody died is bullshit. And I was very sad to learn that, uh, Martin Freeman apparently lives or whatever, whatever his character's name is, Everett Ross. Yeah. I, I was I like, mean, that's so cool. I love that he kind of... I like that there's a death in this movie, even though it's kind of like a small, mediocre character wait, death or whatever. When was he supposed to die? When the when the ship... Oh, I, I read it like the ship exploded in the thing. The ship... Like, the, the ship hit the missiles and he didn't get out in time um, because he, like, left or whatever. Uh, but, that was just me, but that was just me misreading that situation. Okay. I found out later that somebody... You know, that he, that he was still alive. Okay, I was gonna say because they they see him falling out of the trailer, they say get out of there, and he does, and then or like, and then they just kind of cut away and never. Yeah, yeah, I thought he died in the cutaway. That was oh, that was oh, what happened. Um, okay. And then, yeah, I also and you know like there's other stuff in this right like um, 
that uh, like these fights are relatively bloodless um, to be like kind of PG-13 or whatever. Stuff like that lowers it. But they don't do the, the very big Marvel problem that I have, which is making jokes at the expense of the stakes of a situation. Um, any one of these uh, jokes that are kind of like, you're in a high-stakes situation, right? You're in the middle of like an action scene or whatever, and the hero starts doing jokey jokes with the villains. You know what I mean? Where they... That always, that always takes me out of it and lowers the stakes for me. Because it, when the hero isn't taking the situation seriously, I don't take the situation seriously, if that makes sense. Um, the most notable examples all come from the first Avengers, I feel like. Um, because that was kind of what set the bar for it. And I think that those jokes work, but I also think that they deprive the... Um, uh, they deprive the narrative of a lot of that kind of, like, momentum and shit, which always, like, gets on my nerves. So, this movie didn't do any of that, right? All of the action scenes, all of the kind of high-stakes situations were uniformly high-stakes, right? And and the jokes and the comic relief and all that stuff only really happened in downtime, which is, which is I think, kind of the, the appropriate place for it. And then the other big, big thing is that they spent a lot of time and effort to get you to understand... Killmonger as a villain and where Killmonger was coming from what his motivation was right like what his plan was going forward right how he you know what I mean how he arrived at it they, they put a lot of time and effort into it uh, that most Marvel movie villains don't get um, with uh, with like maybe the exception of like Ego from Guardians 2 who I think is also very good um, most Marvel movie villains, even if they do kind of get a motivation or a little bit of, like, time to themselves, don't get the same kind of, like, full scrub treatment that Killmonger got. Uh, and I love that shit. I think it's great. So, uh, so yeah, so how much do you agree with that, that assessment of things? Um, well, one, I'm going to start out by saying that I thought Mighty Enough Steel was, was, was bad. So, you know, um, that would be a, a worse comparison uh, for me, but but Stark aside, um, I think that in some ways that's correct. Like, I think definitely with Killmonger. I think that Killmonger is one of the, is probably the single best Marvel villain we've gotten, which I really like. I was really happy about. Um, I think the only one, the only one that comes close is the one from uh, Homecoming. Um, oh, the Vulture, yeah. Yeah, and the Vulture survives which is the point I put in Spider-Man Homecoming's favor. It's because, like, one of my biggest gripes with Marvel movies is they always kill their villains. I Actually, so, my favorite Marvel villain is actually Purple Man from Jessica Jones, um, but they kill him, too. Um, and also, TV shows work a little bit differently, so I'm not gonna... Like, I don't want to try and compare them one-to-one. -one. Right, yeah. Um, uh, but they always kill their villains, and so all these cool characters... Uh, die and I think that's a problem. I think it makes sense and that the way that Killmonger dies, um, especially um kind of like that gut punch of a line, what was it like, oh, like bury me in the ocean with my with my brothers because they knew that uh that the death, the was, death was better than bondage. bondage. Yeah. Oh god, uh, like, that was so brutal. Yeah, and so I don't want to count that too much against this movie because in a mo in a universe where the Marvel villains don't always die, this is great. I think it is tarnished a little bit by the fact that all the all the villains always die, um, uh, except for like Loki and uh, what, what was who was it? What was the character's name in Spider Man? It was the the, the, the Vulture. Not, the Vulture, Vulture, right? Yeah. Um, 
keep on calling him the Falcon, but that's that's the uh, the other character. In terms of uh, uh, the the other stuff you were talking about, I think that uh, in terms of stakes, I think that the fact that the stakes aren't that high kind of globally lets the story be more personal, and I like that. Um, like, it's about Wakanda, and it's a, it's a lot about T'Challa and that world, right? Like, the, yeah. the actual the actual kind of, like, world-affecting stakes are, are weapons getting out to, um, to the kind of revolutionaries. And honestly, well, that's, like, a problem. It also didn't seem like it was an insurmountable thing to deal with if they did get out or whatever, but that's, yeah, that's fine. Not, that, that isn't the part that appeals to me. It was specifically the fate of Wakanda itself. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, like the 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 threat is real that if Killmonger murders T'Challa or whatever, he will, you know, militarize Wakanda and try and take over the world kind of abstractly, right? But the the it's the immediate fate of Wakanda that is to me like the high stakes of that like end battle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um so I'm going to kind of uh, crib something I I heard somebody else say I can't quite remember who it was, um, but, um, there's this kind of, like, like, thing that, like, a lot of Marvel movies don't have, um, like, a personal style, um, or, like, a memorable soundtrack, um, and I think this movie flaunts that, um, I also think that, um, this is something that the space movies, um, Guardians of the Galaxy, the Guardians of the Galaxies and Ragnarok were able to do, and I can't help but wonder if it's because they're set in kind of like, like Guardians of the Galaxy feels very auteurish to James Gunn, um, uh, and like there's just like personality to the outer space region. But obviously, the um the people that the directors there have a lot of space to play with kind yeah. of new and foreign things. And I think Wakanda has that too, um, because Wakanda isn't tied to any real world thing. And I can't help but think that that it, like relative alienness, um. Let's things uh let, let's things breathe a little bit more, and I think that that works in the in the film's favor. Um, the film is very colorful, um, uh, and very stylish, right? Like that that last battle scene, uh, with the um, the uh the blue warriors versus the uh, red royal guard, um, really stylish, I thought. Um. And so yeah, I th- I think I agree with you that it that it does dodge and swerve a lot of the problems. I don't have as much of a problem with the um, epic moments undercut by jokes, and uh, we'll probably get to this at some point. But I had issues with some of the jokes in this. Yeah, movie. we we have argued pretty extensively about some of this stuff off the cast, but I do think that it's important to talk about some of this. Uh, because I think that there's a lot of, te- like, love and care that goes into, like, every single detail in this movie. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of wasted space. Um, and the amount of time that it takes... It just feels like every second has, like, really crucial information that informs later stuff. You know what I mean? Like, the 30-second conversation between... Um, God, what's his name? Daniel Kaluuya's character, the rhino guy, right? And T'Challa about bringing Claw in and that this guy is motivated by 
uh, you know, like, that Claw killed his parents, right? And so, like, he kind of wants that, like, he kind of wants that revenge, and then when T'Challa, like, fails to do that. All you need, right, like, all you need is, like, a 20-second shot of Killmonger bringing Claw's corpse to that guy. And we've, that like, so much is explained because it was, like, so perfectly set up. And so there's a lot of stuff like that, like, set up and pay off, um... So I, I, earlier I think, in earlier in the film to later in the film. So I think absolutely that that's true for the drama. Um, I think the action in this movie is actually not great. Oh, um, I think the action in this movie is awful. Um, I, and I, I agree with you, except for I, the car chase, which was pretty good. I well, I think the car chase is too long, um, and I think that's actually kind of the one of the biggest problems with this movie is that um, the action is unimpressive, right? Like I said, that the 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 the, the, the two fighting armies was stylish, but it's it's not particularly crazy action or anything, right? Like I, I wasn't like wowed by any of the cinema or any of the uh, choreography or anything. Um, I thought that the uh, the car chase went on a a, a bit too long. Um, you probably didn't even need like the the kind of like split thing that they did, right? Like they got into two separate cars and they kept switching back and forth between them. Um, I at one point was like. Like, I thought they split up, but they both end up chasing Claw's car somehow. Um, I think uh, they needed to do this. They, like, part of this was the, like, setup and payoff. Like, they needed to set up this thing so that they could do the, you know, the remote piloting or whatever with Everett Ross. Yeah, yeah. Shooting down, you know, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that the action is bad. I also think that Ryan Coogler kind of... This is, this is like, a pet peeve of mine um, where people think that long takes make for good filmmaking, right? Like, if you're not, you know, like, people yeah. say, like, oh, like, if you're cutting all the time, you know what I mean? And so, like, the, and this happens in, like, art house movies where they try and take long, long takes. But I actually think that that, that is a bad, that's bad. You know, it's like, sometimes these are impressive, but they're not really impressive on, like, a story level. And a lot of the times you do need to sacrifice, um, you know, aspects of the visuals in order to accomplish that. And I think that that was part of what made the action so poor. You know, the first action sequence with T'Challa um, and on the convoy, there was a, there was a long take in there. Um, but I just thought that stuff was completely incomprehensible because it was black on black and the only light you got was like the strobe light of the machine gun fire or whatever. But even then it was, it wasn't steady enough to give you that kind of like cool strobe light effect that you get with like rave fights in like a James Bond movie yeah. or something. Right. Um, because it was bursty, it was just disorienting and I was like, this is worthless. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, and then and then later there was a lot of like in the casino sequence there was a long take that was like I'm sure impressive and hard to pull off, um, but something you notice in like long takes like this is that nobody's actually hitting anybody else. It just it just looked very fake to me. Yeah, which see, is unfortunate. I I don't know. As kind of a side note, I don't understand kind of like the general fascination. With long, like, even with, like, single-take things, where someone would be like, oh, and they did it all in one take, and I'll be like, oh, neat. And that's, like, the summation of my reaction, right? Like, it doesn't seem, like, it doesn't seem like a thing worth kind of, uh, uh, worth kind of, like, is hemming and hawing over, especially if 
If, if I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, basically, like everything, my perspective has always been that as long as this is something that empowers the narrative, right, and has some form of narrative utility, I'm definitely on board. Uh, but it's like any tool, you know what I mean? Like it has trade-offs. Yeah. And, you know, like it has it has benefits and, and trade-offs, right? A good example of this is from the previous Ryan Coogler movie in Creed, right, where they shoot and the entire first boxing match. Like it's like a five-minute long take or whatever, but it's the whole boxing and there are some cuts in there that are kind of masked it's a little bit like birdman but also less obvious than birdman was about it where uh you know because like there are photographers or whatever sometimes they'll be like you know the flash of a lens flare or something like that that would like hide a cut or something or like you would follow behind the you know like michael b jordan's back and that's hiding a cut you know it, it was very it was very seamless stuff but like that has the narrative utility of putting you in the ring for the entire five minutes that these two guys are fighting end to end, right? There's no, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't break up the action and you never cut for time. So you kind of get like the full force experience of like, yeah, this boxing match was five minutes long and it was brutal. Do you know what I mean? But I felt like that you don't have that same kind of narrative utility when you're doing this crazy, you know, Wakanda stuff. In fact, there were a couple of times when the fact that it was a single take actively worked against the action um because like there's that part where claw shoots t'challa and the money scat and he and he flies off the the balcony and the money scatters or whatever right but because he shoots directly away from the camera it doesn't actually look like he, it, that doesn't look good it, yeah. there's no impact to that shot um and then the money comes out and it looks like it, it's coming out of his ass just because of the way that the camera is positioned. And it's like, you should cut there to a better angle. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah, yeah. that's 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 most of it. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel that. Um, but, yeah. I also thought, um, in terms of, like, uh, just kind of, like, overall, over, overall things, I, I thought the romance in this movie was uh, boring and unearned. I um, thought it was boring and unearned, too. I really hated it. Um, and, uh, like, it's very, very trite. Well, um, actually, so I will say that I like the characters. I just don't like that they are romantically involved. In honestly, it. I'm not that, like, I, I thought the little sister character, Shuri, was great. But I thought the the love interest character, I, I, uh, Nakami, is, is that her name? Um, yeah, sure. Um, Lupita, Lupita, I don't remember her last name, whatever. Like... Uh, like they set her up all right, but like there's not. I don't feel like there was a lot of follow through. Like like you get in the beginning, and she's like, I I need to help other people, and then at the end, she she kind of off can't like she doesn't even show up for this, right? Like you just say that she's gonna run the embassy or whatever. Mm. Um, and I don't feel like they really deliver well on her character that much. Like I think there's a lot of potential there. Um. But, 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 like, you know, and she kind of she kind of tells us, right, like, I'm a spy, right? But we don't really see her doing a lot of spying. Um, I, you know, I kind of thought that, uh, I thought her character was fine, especially just because she was there to kind of establish that, like, not everybody in Wakanda is kind of, like, nationalistically isolationist, which is what I got from the bodyguard. Um, sure, sure, but, like... You know what I mean? And so, like, she's kind of, like, the ideological opposite of that in the movie. And uh, she's it, the one who's kind of pushing, like, yeah, Wakanda should be more uh, open and willing and willing to help. 
Sure, but I, I don't think she was front and center enough for that, right? Like, like I think the secondary character in this movie is Shuri rather than her, and I think it should be her for the purposes of that plot. Like, I think you could also easily make Shuri the person that's like, well, why are we, why aren't we sharing this with, you know, like even do some dumb joke. It's like, I could have a thousand more beta testers for my like heel beads or whatever. Um, uh, I, I, I guess I, I see what you're saying, but I also think that that like the situ like the, the part in the throne room where Shuri and, um, God, what, I can't remember her name, but uh, are, are talking and she's like, how on earth can you support this dictator? And she's like, I'm loyal to that throne or whatever. I don't think that Shuri can have that conversation. I only think that uh, Lupita's character can have that conversation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I guess. And I, and I also think that she's like the spy thing sets up that there is like a network, you know, she's part of that. Uh, same thing with Sterling K. Brown's character, uh, Michael B. Jordan's dad. You know that there are, that there are all these, you know, Wakandan spies around the world or whatever. Sure. Uh, and, and, and sorry, my my point isn't that she shouldn't have been there. It's that for the weight that she holds in the story, she should have been more front and center. Um, she felt very tertiary when the importance of kind of the um, the, the non isolationist plot line should have made her more secondary. Um, at least, at least to my mind. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, I actually thought, and that, that's another thing that really got me on board for Black Panther. I mean, everybody's talking about, like, the racial politics to this movie, um, in, like, the themes and everything, and I think that that's, you know, crazy that they did this, to be honest with you, Frank. Like, that, it, it, it is insane to me how much this movie really went hard for, like, contemporary for like a, a very contemporary political message um when things tend to be a little bit less like politically rooted and a little bit more philosophically rooted um but uh, uh i also i also thought that it was that it was really good at breaking you know at breaking it down and it's not even just like it's not even just like a you know we're talking about african-americans and the legacy of colonialism right but we're also talking about a little bit like like i saw a tweet from somebody that's like i sure as hell don't feel prepared to comment because okay so this is also this, the discussion around this movie has like gone has has like progressed really quickly but there are a lot of people who have like the killmonger have killmonger is right right which is a play on magneto is right um killmonger uh, did nothing wrong yeah, it, it's, you know, it's that kind of thing where they're kind of like, no, like, Killmonger is correct that, you know, colonialism has been awful and there has not been enough in the form of, of you know, uh, uh, kind of reparations or, or whatever that looks like. And that violent revolution or revolution of some kind is the only way to truly, you know, get, get to the other side of this. The film does not hold that view, right? The film clearly says Killmonger goes too far, right? And that the way that Killmonger, I mean, Killmonger is like an, is, I guess, kind of like an ethnicist in a way, um, whereas uh, the movie wants you to be a humanist, right? Where, because at the end, T'Challa's like, we're all, you know, like, we're all tribe. one people. Yeah, exactly. But some people are kind of like going hard on that. And, and, I, and, I, saw, and I saw a Twitter thread where somebody was like, you know, like, I'm not, as, as a white person, I don't feel like it's my place to really talk about whether or not Killmonger was right, but I absolutely empathize and understand the plight of a people who see their, 
you know, political norms and traditions, like, done up in flames by, you know, like, a malicious outsider. And that felt really real. And I was, and, and that kind of got me thinking, like, there's a lot of other thematic stuff in this movie that's just, like, really complex and, I and mean, interesting. I, I like the, the, the hot take that I have seen in certain corners of the internet is something along the lines of, uh, Wakanda's an ethnically monog, uh, you know, uh, oh, mon- Wakanda, mon- yeah, yeah, the Wakanda's an ethno state or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a, you know, an, an ethno state with uh, a high powered autocrat that, uh, is isolationist and, you know, uh, not globalist. Uh, and, you know, who does that sound like, uh, in a lot of ways? Yeah, there is, there is, a like, a I guess, like, um, an image macro or something of that. Like, like Black Panther is is a movie about the alt-right or something, or it's, like, the... the I mean, I mean the, the, the part that that misses, too, is that, like, the whole point of the movie is that they they open up they, they yeah. open up more. Yeah, the movie very clearly also condemns that viewpoint um, because they do open up relations and they, and they come uh, uh, to I mean, the aid of the world, right? To be clear, there's a moment in the movie where one of the... One where where the uh, one of the characters who ends up doing a heel turn on um, uh, the what's what's the the warrior dude um, the one with the rhinos Umbaku? Umbaku. oh the other guy yeah no, the, no. The, the, is the yeah the, the, the gorilla, gorilla guy, guy. Um, where he says like refugees bring problems with them or something and he's like yeah. well you're putting that out there like it's like yeah no I, that, that's the thing like people talked about this a little bit with Thor Ragnarok and we talked about this a little bit on the cast but like that stuff was all subtext you know what I mean like at best you are making metaphors right out of right Kate Blanchett kind of like implying that the wealth of was uh, the the wealth of asgard came from uh uh you know like a system akin to col- colonialism right you like you really had to stretch this movie you did not have to stretch at all this shit was text right yeah. like, uh, like, but i thought that that was you know i thought that that was pretty uh brave and cool and uh and interesting i like that this movie had a, like had like a real kind of perspective and it wasn't half assed this is kind of one of my complaints about this is kind of one of my complaints about some of the earlier Marvel movies, specifically Captain America, the first Avenger. Like, the Red Skull is a literal Nazi. You know what I mean? Like, but they do everything they can to be like, no, 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 he's just playtime, fun time Nazi. What's the Holocaust, right? There's like one passing reference to the scientist that gives Captain America the super soldier or whatever, like that he's Jewish. And that's like all that the movie actually deals with like that kind of thing or whatever. And you know, that's fine. Whatever. You know, like that's not the end of the world. Right. But like, this is a movie that really goes in and examines the viewpoints from a lot of different perspectives and then comes out and says, you know what? I'm pretty sure this is the right way. Uh, And that's, and that's very cool. That's very interesting. Yeah. No, uh, it's, it, 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 like, I don't know, like, we, we already went over, like, I think the, the, kind of, probably the best line in the movie, which is, which is Killmonger's, uh... I actually, okay, yeah, and I want to, and I want to focus on that line for a second, because the other week, you and I were talking about protagonists and antagonists, and this is a fantastic example of what I was laying out, right? Not every, not every protagonist and antagonist, like, falls along these lines, um, but in this movie, they absolutely did, right? Where, um, T'Challa was motivated 
right? But the defeat that he suffered, right, when he was defeated by Killmonger um, in combat or whatever, that also led to him compromising a little bit with Killmonger's point of view. Because before beforehand, right, like, he's a traditionalist and he doesn't agree um, that they should, you know, that he, he, he thinks that Wakanda should stay isolationist, right? That's right. what his dad did. He thinks his dad is a good father. But, like, the, the, the revelation that uh, T'Chaka murdered his own brother, right, um, and left their cousin out out of Wakanda, right? And then that cousin comes back and defeats T'Challa, right? And then T'Challa comes away from that and he immediately goes to M'Baku's tribe and he's like, you know what? The way that you guys have been kind of cast out of our society into the mountains or whatever, that's wrong. And I don't, you know, like they, they specifically say something about like, you know, you're the only king in two centuries to have ever come to the mountains. And he's like, hey, man, I'm not responsible for what the other kings have done. And I'm going to do a different kind of thing. And, and so this is the protagonist changing, right? This is T'Challa's arc. But the specific thing that he, the, like the cool part of this, is that he is compromising with, um, uh, he's compromising with Killmonger's point of view, right? Where Killmonger, there is a grain of truth to Killmonger's, uh, motivation and he recognizes that and he says you know what you're right we should you know reveal ourselves to the world and everything like that uh but i also don't want to you know but i also don't agree with the extremes to which you know to which you want to do that and killmonger refuses to compromise right t'challa is like hey man we can probably heal you or whatever but no that's not killmonger will not accept that he is so dogmatic and he reinvests in his worldview so much that he is more willing to accept death than he is to uh to kind of uh come down and so like it's a great example of what we were talking about the other week yeah um can i make a really crazy can i make like a really crazy uh I, I'm, I want to bring the conversation in a really crazy direction. Go for and it. And I don't, I want you to know that I don't think that this is, re, you know, like, that I'm not trying to imply anything, right? But this story is remarkably similar to a story that I wrote on Reddit a year ago. <laughs> because in the, uh, I guess I want to say in the DC Cinematic subreddit, there was something that was like, if you could make any one of these movies, what would it look like? And I put out... And I basically wrote an Aquaman movie in a Reddit comment, and it looks almost exactly like this. <laughs> way better. I mean, this this movie is way better. I'm sure that my movie would be garbage or whatever, but it has been on my mind ever since, and I wanted to. <laughs> I just wanted to mention it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, you know what? What can you say, man? Great, great yeah. minds think alike. Yeah. Apparently, me and Ryan Coogler. Because actually, part of the reason that I love this movie so much is that this is a very th this is a, a lot of an Aquaman story. It's in here, right? Um, which is just natural. There's a lot of natural shared, you know, DNA between uh, Wakanda, um, Atlantis. Right, be between Wakanda and Atlantis. There's a little bit like Aquaman is still a little bit different because Aquaman is specifically an outsider because um, he's a half breed. He's the son of a human and an Atlantean. Um, and also, Atlantis is not painted in the same way. Like Wakanda is pretty clearly painted as you know, if not a utopia, then utopian in some way. Yeah. Um, but, um, the, but Atlantis is rarely painted that way. Uh, it's pretty commonly painted superstitiously, negatively, right? And it's much more, you know, that Arthur, uh, that Aquaman is like a reluctant king who is trying to lead like a backwards people who have really bad instincts. And he's constantly fighting against, you know, like the politics of this like shitty, you know, 
uh, this this shitty kingdom to have them be good and not be assholes. Um, but uh, but like but all of that you know like all of this stuff is definitely stuff that that resonated a lot with me and is part of the reason that I like this movie so much. It also reminds me a lot of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is another movie that I just like fell in love with two years ago um, because it has the same kind of like um, uh, it has the same kind of. I guess like Shakespearean kind of political structure, you know, in that movie it's it's Caesar and Koba and whether or not they can like compromise with the humans. But I really I just stories like this are just like right up my alley, um, which is part of why I'm so partial to uh, to the way that Black Panther uh, uh, put that stuff to screen. In a lot of ways, this is this is like I don't know. This is like the perfect Marvel movie for me. Uh, from like a, from like a story, you know, like the kinds of stories that I like. Point of view, uh, I think that's fair. I think we all like. Well, one of the things that I would I would mark down as criticism, just because you, you brought it up with the uh, with with uh, the Mbaku's tribe, I feel like they could have used like a couple more minutes explaining that kind of dynamic. Like it gets like one line. Like this is the thing that I think it happens a couple times in the movie where um, important details get a line in a weird place. Right, like the status of Mbaku's tribe um, is a one line in kind of like the the prologue where they talk about um, how Wakanda is formed. They don't really go into it, and uh, but it's like a, a very important thing for us to like you know as to uh, uh, as to why any of this is uh, uh, you know as, as, it's an important plot point as to why they can't go to. Mbaku instead of any of the other four tribes because they're 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 isolationists within the isolationist country, um. Uh, and then the the other the 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 other part of this is um, like Killmonger's plan is kind of weird and wonky and falls into the 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 Batman sin or you know like the, the kind of the justice, Batman gambit yeah, yeah yeah um, but it it is in my mind at least pretty well explained away by a line that. Uh, Martin Freeman says he used it to justify like why he burned the the heart shaped herb. Yeah. Um, but literally, that's like the worst place for that line. Like that line going anywhere else to explain literally any of his other actions explains the rest of his plan. I don't think it actually explains why he burned the Garden of the Heart Shaped Herbs, but it explains like why he just didn't like kill Killmonger and or not kill Killmonger, kill uh, Claw and walk into walk into Wakanda. It kind of sets up this kind of like, you know, he was waiting for a good moment to strike type of thing. And, and it explains it beautifully, but it's so disconnected that um, the fridge moment, like, you know, usually the fridge moment is when you're like, you open the fridge, you're like, wait, that didn't make any sense. Um, the fridge moment for me is like, I open, I think I literally opened the fridge and I was like, wait, this actually does make sense. Yeah, I, uh, I very much agree with you. And I think that uh, in the same way that like, it like Lex Luthor's plan in Batman vs Superman doesn't make any plot logic sense, or Zemo's plan in Civil War doesn't make any plot logic sense. Um, th I I think that it 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 is following that same kind of trajectory, uh, but it is pretty well explained away. Um, I also think that the movie does its homework in setting up that uh, really Zemo, or I'm sorry, uh, really Claw is kind of a pawn of. Um, uh, Killmonger, you know what I mean? Like, the first moment in the story isn't Claw doing something or whatever, or, like, Claw going out and recruiting Killmonger. It's Killmonger in the museum right. with, you know, like, talking about the vibranium that he identified or whatever. Not only is this a great characterization moment where he's talking about, you know, 
the aspects of museum, I guess, like, grave-robbing archaeology or whatever. Uh, but, like, it... it, it I, I think it perfectly set up that this is a much more plausible plan than uh, than it seemed. You know, it makes... It, it explains why... Um, it explains why Killmonger broke uh, Claw out of uh, the CIA custody in South Korea. You know what I mean? Like it, it just it, it it fills in a lot of gaps. Yeah. Um, although I, I will say that like having like there was some what was it? T'Challa sees the ring and then asks Forrest Whitaker's character why he had the ring and he gets the whole explanation and then he show and then Killmonger shows up and it seems like Charles got it all figured out but then he like refuses to be like you helped break claw out right and like be like you know it, like, he refuses to say anything right it's like he's clearly figured out who he is and he refuses to acknowledge it just felt like a weird story beat whereas you could have just like saved that reveal for after he shows up and challenges T'Challa and put like you know, a couple hours in between him challenging him and them actually doing the... the, the I the... think that that would have been an okay piece of Logos. Um, specifically, actually, because I think that's a detail that works in Killmonger's favor. Um, like, imagine imagine this conversation, right? T'Challa says, I know, I know you. You broke Claw out of our custody. And Killmonger goes... He, he wasn't in your custody. You had the opportunity to kill him. And you turned him over to, you know... The United States. I was the one that broke him out so that I could bring him to justice for Wakanda. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that would have yeah. been a fantastic moment to I like I think that stuff it like I think that logic follows kind of whatever. But I do think that, that would have been a great like moment of logos to kind of explain a little bit. Um explain a little bit of that, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like and it's it's little bits like 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 like, I thought that the the kind of the style and the execution of this movie at, like, you know, fighting scenes aside was, was pretty great. But I thought, like, the, the actual kind of, like, down-to-the-minute details of the plot weren't super compelling in in, in their, like, moment-to-moment bits, right? Like, like the big signposts were, were great, but, like, the, like, getting from them, getting from one to another felt kind of muddy. Um, and that's, I think, a large part of why I didn't think this movie was spectacular. Are there are there other examples that you can think of, like like moments that don't work? I mean, maybe is this is this the part where we talk about the fucking memes? Okay, yeah. I mean, well, <laughs> let's hit that because, like, you know, at the end of the day, I I, I wouldn't knock out the, I, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna like knock like a letter grade off of the, sure, the movie sure. for it, but the two me. The, so well, essentially, I think I think you and I just have fundamentally different perspectives on this, and that's fine or whatever. So uh, just just, just to, to avoid out. the argument, let's just yeah. explain our side and move on. So um, there's a point in the movie uh, right after T'Challa is crowned where he walks to Shuri's lab, and Shuri uh, looks at his shoes and goes, "What are those?" In reference to the meme, and I thought this was so poorly done it felt like the most kind of fellow kids moment and uh pokemon go to the polls mango <laughs> <laughs> um and there was later a moment with whip your hair back and forth which i actually didn't think was as bad but it was like right on the heels of this and it really kind of like stuck in my craw for lack of a better term um 
and uh, if your your position is that this provides great characterization for Shuri, correct? Yeah. Well, so so my position, first of all, I don't think the joke is that offensive because um, it makes sense in the context of the world, right? That Shuri is a person who she's a nineteen year old girl or whatever. You know what I mean? Like she's a teenager. She, it, I, I'm, I would not be surprised that she knows memes, right? And I actually think that that's kind of like, if not an important detail, it's like a, a, like an influential detail, you know? That she almost kind of, that she has some kind of communication with the outside world um, that is, even, even though Wakanda is so isolationist, right? This is also a bit of why, like, like there's clearly some sort of Wakandan language, or maybe they're speaking Swahili, uh, but most of the mu movie is in English, right? And as much as I think that that's a, you know, like all the Asgardians fucking speak English, they don't speak Asgardian, right. um, or whatever, right? But I do think that there's, like, there's something to that that, like, you know, even though these aren't a globalized people, there are, like, global influences on them, right? Um... And then I think that it provide that the follow up to the joke is a really insightful conversation uh, that's right off the top that actually does a lot to kind of like establish characters, their relationships, uh, and themes of the movie. To quote myself from the Facebook argument that we've had, uh, because essentially what you know she goes, "What are those?" And then and then T'Challa gets defensive. He's like, "These are you know like these are traditional royal sandals. You know like I thought I would be you know like." I thought it would do something uh, like kind of buy the book sort of thing. And she's making fun of him for it. But I actually think that that's like a great detail because that is literally T'Challa's position in the overall theme of the movie, right? He starts from this traditionalist view and then he compromises on that as we've discussed earlier, right? When he kind of adopts some of, uh, some of like Killmonger's position, you know what I mean? And so like insofar... As that is a joke that exists in the movie, it is passable. I didn't, I didn't laugh, right? But I went, I saw this in South Central LA, uh, and everybody in the theater thought it was super funny. So I'm not like, I, I would feel bad about saying that they, you know, that they shouldn't have laughed at this fucking joke or whatever. But I like that there was like narrative utility to it. Um, in the same way that jokes in like, like I was talking about earlier, like the these stakes lowering jokes, these are jokes that have negative narrative utility, right? They detract, they are at the expense of the narrative and the narrative suffers because of them. Even if they're funny, right? I think that they're bad jokes because they uh, they they strip these the the stakes out of the situation, right? Um, in the in the in the same way, this is a good joke because it contributes to characterization and foreshadows some of the themes and stuff about the movie, and I think that that's pretty cool. Okay, so I can um, I'm I'm gonna acknowledge all of that and say that that is I'm even gonna agree with you, right? That it does all these nice things narratively, but I don't think that, that excuses it being a bad joke. Um, or rather, it being an unfunny joke, right? Um, I'm going to just characterize okay, it. Okay, you know, like, that, okay, yeah. So unfunny, I get that. I get that. Like I, I said, I, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. I thought it. I also, I I guess I got like the pang of like that. That's kind of what happened to me. Is I got this like second where I was kind of like ooh, like a wince or whatever. Cringe, cringe. It's a, it's a it's a cringe moment. Yeah. Right. Like it. Like I so. But I was also in a theater with, where everyone else was laughing, and I was kind of like, I almost felt bad for cringing. That, you know, like, there's this, and there's this, like, peer pressure to be like, okay, you know what, like, not every joke in the movie has to be for me. That's fine. So, so, I I don't know. I, I have no problem saying that people have shit taste in jokes. Um, <laughs> um, okay. And, and uh, like, I think that saying that the joke has good narrative utility 
is fundamentally different from the joke being funny or not to, to kind of give a little bit more nuance than good or bad. Um, and honestly, to me, the funniness is usually more important, right? This is why I'm not as bothered by these kind of stakes ruining jokes. Yeah, yeah. I um, because I think I think that they they hit well. Um, yeah, in in a certain way, I almost think that uh, like th like even if I don't laugh at something, I kind of just imagine that there's somebody who does. An example that I that I've used before when we when we were talking about this is like the adult oriented jokes in Sp like I can laugh at the adult oriented jokes in SpongeBob, but I might find you know, like the fart jokes, like those don't make me laugh anymore, right? But when I was a kid, those the fart jokes were what I was there for. And when they're making jokes about fucking smooth jazz or whatever, or freeform jazz, like I didn't get that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so I kind of think that like, you know, like maybe I'm just too. Maybe we're just too old. Maybe we're just too like old and crotchety so, to like uh, so <laughs> to get I, these meme jokes. <laughs> so a joke. I think there's a, a joke that I don't get. Ver like I, I think it's actually the issue is that we understand the joke too well. Um, I, I, put, I put a little thought into this, and maybe I'll I'll come up with like a, a more formalized explanation and write it down somewhere. But Meme jokes, I think, are hard to execute well because not only do they require a lot of kind of external knowledge to fire correctly, but um, it's also very hard to make a meme not feel like a weird corporate kind of pull-in. Um, I'm trying like the when I'm going over to my head, I'm trying to compare this to in I think it was X3. There was an uh, I'm the juggernaut. Oh, bitch I'm the joke. juggernaut bitch. But that yeah, but seemed see, to okay, work. Yeah, but you right? know what, dude? I was what. 14 when that movie came out i thought that shit was hilarious no no, no. I, i'm like, pretty sure i said that was the only good part in that fucking movie which is a garbage fire but I, I like that's kind of my point right like there is i think there's something there that makes that joke work um i think like if it's just a joke that i am not that that isn't particularly funny to me i feel like that's whatever but this joke had that cringe aspect to it um, and I'm trying to nail down exactly what that is, and I don't think I'm there yet. Um, that makes the juggernaut bitch joke work, and this joke not to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I think at the end of the day, this really does come down to, like, a taste thing, which is kind of why, like, good and bad, because, like, to me, good and bad is something that is that you filter taste out of, right? Like, this is when, when I talk about, like, you know, Batman vs. Superman was my favorite movie of 2016, but the best movie was Moonlight, right? Like, my tastes say that this is my favorite thing, right? But my ability to understand, you know what I mean? Like, to to, to, to think about what makes a good movie, it, like, I can separate that out and go, Moonlight. And so that's a little bit of what I'm doing. Like, because I do agree with you, I didn't find it funny, but I think other folks did, or whatever, and that's a, that's a taste thing. But we've been using this terminology of, like, good and bad. So saying the joke is unfunny, I'm absolutely on board with. I get that. Yeah. Um, but saying that the joke is good or bad, I, that puts me in a different, like, headspace. Yeah, um, no, I, I, absolutely, I, I, I get that. Um, and there's also, there's also like, uh, Rachel just came home from watching the movie, and she has two very powerful anecdotes that she shared with me through Facebook. The first one is, um, she said she was pretty sure that she was the only white person in the theater, and she, that meant she couldn't have asked for a better theater experience because the after credit scene with Bucky or whatever, there was one lady in the audience that shouted, it's Bucky, and then her friend goes, are you sure? I can't tell all these white boys look the same. <laughs> and then she also said that, like, did you, like, there's the, uh, there's, like, the auntie joke that Michael B. Jordan makes to, uh, 
uh, Angela Bassett's character. Uh, uh, That joke killed in my theater. But I feel like that's probably not a joke that's going to, like, get anywhere in, like, Oklahoma. You know what I mean? I mean, is the substance of that joke that, like, she's his aunt? Because that's all I got of him. Maybe, maybe I missed the cultural impact of it. Yeah, I there's, uh, there's, uh... I, I think that there's more there. I don't really know that I feel qualified enough to, like, to, like, uh, explain that. Because all I really have is the context of... Everybody in my theater thought that was really funny. Yeah, I mean, like, it, I, like from 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 an outsider's perspective, I mean, it, it hits with the force of like, you know, she is his aunt, um, and it's kind of sarcastic, but uh, I don't know. I I I have no I have no view into that into that cultural uh, touchstone either. Um, but while we're hitting on like weird cultural touchstones, I wanted to think of talk about something that kind of like hit me in a weirdly personal way, um, that I thought was interesting. So at at the end of the movie, um, they go to the uh, uh, they they go to the the old neighborhood where uh, Killmonger's uh, you know family was, and they talk about how they're buying out. Uh, like they, like the, the building that he grew up in is condemned, is going to come down and that he, he bought the three buildings. He's going to put like a, a Wakandan outreach center there. Right. Um, and that felt weirdly tone deaf to me. And maybe this is just kind of like, I, I don't know, uh, reviewers at, or for listeners at home who don't know, uh, buddy and I both went to, uh, Johns Hopkins university and, um, I don't know if you know this buddy, but the Johns Hopkins corporation, buys out large swaths of Baltimore um, to the point where they like will buy like rows or houses in a set of row houses and keep them unoccupied to to depreciate property value. So they can buy the whole block out and knock it down and put up like a building. Yeah. And that's like that kind of like verges. And honestly, it's kind of, kind of gross. Um, It's on like, you know, like a level of gentrification that it felt like this movie kind of didn't understand that it was doing right like that like that that's the kind of thing that like felt like it, it felt like a tone deaf like stab at like a, a tone deaf thing that like in reality would like doesn't address like a weird gentrification point to me it, it, that's it really that, it's funny that it's funny that you mentioned that but uh, but I, I i didn't get the same feeling um from the movie uh just because like like, like the movie it, does, definitely doesn't recognize it but like that was kind of like my my gut reaction I, i'm not generally sensitive to these type of things um and i guess like i said maybe it was it was the hopkins thing but it felt to me like yeah because that... i feel like if if hopkins was doing that to create you know community outreach centers or you know like something along yeah. those lines right it would be a lot different than like there's a certain purpose to it that makes it different right like when when johns hopkins is doing that to depreciate property values so that they can like further the goals of their corporate needs that definitely reads pretty shitty to me, right? But like, uh, I like Wakanda doing it for the explicit purpose of creating community outreach. Um, uh, I think that forgives it in a way and kind of like puts it in a different. But it's it's the same kind of. I mean, this this sort of thing happens with like you know actors or like the Lakers or something. You know what I mean? Where they will do. Uh, where they'll like buy out like something in the projects or whatever, or, like so, like Snoop Lion, Snoop Dogg, whatever, you know, pretty famously did this um, in order to create a football field for uh, like Pee Wee football for kids 
in uh, uh, in L.A., right? Like, that to me, yeah, I guess technically he's using, like, he's using money that's as much a part of, like, the the imperialism and colonialism that got whatever, that got these people put in whatever situation they're in and everything like that. But at the end of the day, like, you know, I would much rather have those peewee football kids having a good time, right? Uh, and that the the kind of um, I guess like the 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 ends justifies the means in that in that yeah, situation. I, maybe I'm a little sensitive to this because I, I live in San Francisco, where like this is like a thing that's like a, yeah, like a, like, a, like a very real thing. But I can't help but think this. No, like, dude, yeah, for for real. I live in Hawthorne, right? Like where you know Elon Musk and and Tesla. Like I'm watching this this. Uh, neighborhood gentrify out from under me. Hell, I'm part of that gentrification, right? Uh, um, so. I, I can just imagine, right? Like some some new engineer moves out to the bay, and they're like looking at Oakland. It's like, oh, well, that place is within two blocks of that new Wakandan outreach center. It's looking like it's on the up and up. Maybe we should get an apartment there. Um, and it, yeah, um, and, and I don't know. That, that's that's just like the the thing that immediately jumped out. Jumped no, out I me. I super. I super get that. I super get that. Uh, I think that this movie has plenty of places where it can be kind of, like, nuanced. Like, for instance, I actually really enjoyed that the movie did not demonize violence. Um, I read an article that was talking a little bit about the dynamic that's typically viewed between Professor X and Magneto and how the presence or absence of violence is what determines one of these to be yeah. moral and the other one to be immoral, right? Where essentially you kind of do, like, the, you know... Uh, Professor X is MLK and Magneto is Malcolm X, right? And like that, uh, like the the problem with with Magneto's uh, vision of things is that he's he's so willing to be so violent in order to achieve that stuff. But I don't think Black Panther says that. So Black Panther is it is more nuanced than that because it's specifically saying right that that it, it's imperialism. You can't you can't use the process of like imperialism and colonialism to to liberate yourself, you know, which is what, which is see, explicitly what Killmonger talks about, right? When he's like, I'm going, you know, he, he was raised in this world and learned from the best, right? Like all of the, you know, like the subtext to him becoming part of like destabilizing regimes or, or whatever, yeah, learning that from the United States military, right? Like he's essentially trying to just use imperialism on the people who have, been using imperialism and that's what the movie is specifically condemning it's not saying that you know like oh well you know killmonger was wrong because he was you know like, because he was violent because i think from like uh from like a moralistic and from like a philosophical perspective that's pretty uh bad and not uh, and not i don't know i i think there's shades of it right like anytime like it's kind of i feel like it, it's kind of implied that violence is inherently imperialistic to use that term um that like like in the in in the beginning of the movie um uh uh the uh I can't, still can't remember his name the rhino guys try like well you could send me and my warriors out there we could kick some ass basically yeah and he's like no um but like and in like the correct way is seen as like doing humanitarian aid and whatnot and it, it seems very closely tied to kind of like that that aspect of state violence well but well th so. The, the place where Black Panther says violence is okay in is in the uprising that 
T'Challa essentially organizes with M'Baku's tribe. Oh, I see what um, you're saying. You, you know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah. the, the final bit of the movie where they are fighting, technically, the state is Killmonger, right? And yeah. the rebels, right? But people, but when we talk about violence, very rarely do we talk about the concept of, like, the state as a violent organization, Um and that's the that's the that's the lack of nuance that people don't get that there is violence inherent to the state, but because that is more permissible, right? It t- it tends to get people don't understand that that count that that is also violence, but it's it is violence that we think is acceptable, and so it's kind of hidden. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like for instance, the the best way to explain this is um uh is like. Um, the like a like a newspaper headline. Newspaper headlines will say something like, "A riot broke out after police, you know, opened fire on you know like an on, on an unarmed black man." Right. The violence in that framing comes after someone was shot with a deadly weapon. Right. The right. shooting of someone with a deadly weapon is not considered violence by that framing, and that's kind of what I'm. That, that's kind of philosophically, I guess. Um, what what I think is cool about the movie is that it it gets it gets to that it gets to that nuance in a way that most other films don't. You you want a hot take? Yeah. Uh, so, um, in refusing to reengage with uh, T'Challa in combat, since he did not yield, nor was he killed. Uh, the, 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 the government is uh, illegitimately employing force. And so the, they are justified in bringing violence against them because yeah. they've broken their own, their own rules. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of like underlying philosophy to all yeah. this. Um, like very typically people will say like, you know, sure, violence is inherent to, to people, but we want the state to have a monopoly on violence because at the end of the day, the state is empowered by the will of the people kind of thing. You know what I mean? And that's a, you know, there are reasons why that would be valid and invalid and that's a place that the movie doesn't explicitly go but typically but typically like you know what i mean uh what i what i do like is that it is that kind of takedown of the kind of simplistic view um this by the way to tie it back to man of steel this is also a lot of what i like about um like i was talking about like zod as fascist zod like man of steel is inherently a story of insane fascism and and specifically kind of comments on the like the end state of what fascism dictates there's no compromise with zod's fascism right and that violence is necessary right like the violence that superman employs to defeat zod is necessary because zod's goal is genocide um and like and i and so i also like that i also just want to plug man of steel i watched it the other day and I was like, I love this movie, <laughs> which is probably part of why I think about it so closely um, as I do with uh, with Black Panther. Plus, there's also stuff like, you know, Superman being torn between like the two perspectives of his two dads is a lot of um, it's kind of like the same thing uh, that T'Challa is going through when he's uh, he's got Daniel Kalu on one side, Lupita on the on the other kind of. You know, and that the the goal that he eventually finds is compromise. I'm telling you, man, these movies they're they're they are much more alike than people would give them credit for. But apparently, I'm the only one that likes Man of Steel. Anyway, how was your week? My week was uh, was pretty good. <laughs> uh, what did I do this week? I uh, I didn't run uh, Seven C because not enough people showed up. Yeah, Chinese New Year uh, stole one of our players. I yeah. Guess. Uh, also, also, apparently he got real sick, so, uh, 
he almost didn't make it to uh, the other game I ran on Sunday. Um, but I, I actually beat The End Is Nigh, which is a, a platformer by Ed McMillan of Super Meat Boy fame and, uh, and uh, what's the other one? Binding of Isaac fame. Another super hard platformer. It was pretty great. I recommend it. Uh, I also, in the process, uh, I've been recommended by a bunch of uh, people. I started playing Celeste, which is another super hard platformer, and that game is is is, mm, it's, it's oh, it's I've great. I've heard about Celeste. People say Celeste is quite quite good. Yeah, um, I I haven't really like gotten into like the the story bits. Like I don't play super hard platformers for their story elements, right? Like. Um, the neat thing about the end is nice is that the main character for like all ten of his voice lines was voiced by Rich Evans, uh, of of Red Letter Media fame. I was like, oh, that's neat. And then I continued to die like seven hundred times. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Celeste apparently has a decent story. I've been interfacing with that a little bit, um, but the platforming's tight. It's crisp. Um, I really like it. Uh, I recommend it highly for everybody. Um, uh, I'm playing it on Steam. Uh, but a lot of people recommend it for the Switch because it, it lends itself very well to kind of like short bursts of play if you want to do that, like on the train or whatever. So if you've got a Switch, I would I would uh, recommend checking that out. Um, I don't know if I've really I played some Player Unknown's Battlegrounds because you know I always do. Yeah. Uh, and play a little bit more Dragon Ball Fighter Z, but I don't know if I've got. I man, I am actually getting back into, or I really, I really almost kind of want to get back into Dragon Ball Fighter Z. I watched a great video essay talking about. Do you have um, it? Uh, no, but I was thinking about getting it. Um, uh, I w I watched a great video essay that was talking about why someone loves. I should actually link it to you because it's a great explainer for why Dragon Ball Z is uh is like important, I guess, to 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 folks like me, right? And I think it's actually. It goes a little bit farther, um, in like, because the, the essay essentially kind of talks about how, like, this was a lot of people's introduction to serialization in storytelling, right? That you would come home every day at 5.30, and it wasn't just, like, another episode of SpongeBob where you have the same status quo, right, and the characters um, progress through it uh, and then reset at the end of the, you know, at the, at the end of the episode. Um, that Dragon Ball Z starts and ends in a different point and you know plenty of time there's filler plenty of time there's you know like whatever right but it is at the end of the day an extremely long 300 episode story right of goku and vegeta and gohan and piccolo getting better and stronger and better and stronger and defeating uh more and more powerful opponents um and i think that a lot of a lot of kind of my own tastes have been shaped by that like you know like obviously we've been talking a lot about like stakes and everything like that but like dragon ball z is a place where the stakes are always really high right and like the way that uh that the action is framed like that's part of why i think i'm drawn to it in a different uh like in a, in a different way and i kind of almost like wonder if there's a way that we can like kind of like chart out like a cross section of like well if you grew up with this that and the other thing right like you probably have different tastes because like your formative tastes are are you know this set of media compared to someone else's i don't know it, it, it's something that also makes me wonder because like i really like strategy games and rpgs um and like my first two biggest games right were pokemon and StarCraft, right? Like, I wonder, I, I, it, I, it, the question is, is interesting, uh, and I kind of wonder what, like, the answer is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And I, I've said it before, I didn't actually, I, I didn't grow up on Dragon Ball Z at all. Um, um, but I, I, I appreciate this from kind of like the fighting game's perspective. But if you're interested in jumping into a fighting game, like, this is one of the most accessible fighting games. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, That's cool. There are super, there's a, there's, there's a lot of auto combos. Um, you don't need to know a lot to kind of get into it. It is a hyper fighter, so it's very fast paced, which is something I'm personally having trouble adjusting to, because I I kind of like cut my fighting game teeth on Street Fighter Four, um, which uh, is a lot slower game, and um, I tend to play low combo. Um, well, this is the Blaz Blue guys, right? Uh, yes, yeah, or yeah. Blades Blue, I don't yeah, know. It, yeah, 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 yeah. It it, okay. it it is a, but it is a. It is more than it is an anime fighter. It is a hyper fighter through and through. Um, okay, and it is effectively killed. Um, oh, what's it called? It killed Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, which is incredible. interesting. Yeah, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite isn't at Evo this year. Wow! Uh, yeah. Wow! 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 Is it being replaced by Dragon Ball Fighter Z? Um, so yes, in kind of like the most basic way. There's also kind of like some weird stuff there too, like, um, uh. What is? It? I think it's Blast Blue. Uh, another Arc Systems Works game, uh, Cross Tag Battle, is getting a spot, but that game isn't out until two months before the convention. And like, while like you know, on Facebook, it's gonna be like you know, DBZ killed Marvel. Like the really like the shakier pick is definitely Cross Tag Battle because no one even knows if it's gonna be good or not. Like DBZ has looked good for a long time before it came out. Like maybe even, and people were excited for it, and it is good cross tech battle might not be um like some of the super early builds people played people were not impressed um there's also some like uh dlc stuff that people aren't happy about like like there is like i think the majority of that game was was dlc characters um and people got so mad about it that they offered that they're giving uh the ruby characters away for free um which is one of the big draws of it is that it's got like it, it's a cross universe battle game and there's a lot there, but I, I think that the cross tech battle there is actually the more questionable thing. Um, uh, as is, uh, I don't know. They put melee back on the main stage, uh, and and Smash Four has a has a Saturday final, um, which I think is I don't know. I'm I'm not a fan of melee. I think I think it's gotten stale. Um, Interesting, really. Yeah. Um, and I I think that this meshes with conventional wisdom as well. Um, or at least I've seen this 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 opinion put other places is that um, melee has finally kind of gotten to the point where it, like the top four is usually all the same and you can't real and there's not a lot of space left for innovation and it's not like brawl where there was some systematic problems that would keep it from being competitive like you know uh, on purpose right like uh, mm, slipping uh, yeah yeah um, uh, Smash Four doesn't have those problems. Um, and it's, uh, not, um, I don't know, I, it's, I, I think that Smash 4 is where the room for growth and the room for excitement really is, um, and so, uh, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I am personally unhappy that Melee has the main stage, um, over Smash 4, but the, Smash 4 is an official tournament game that will be played in, in a final, just won't be in, in the, uh, in like the finals on on the Sunday, um, unfortunate fact, uh, Evo is is the same weekend as Gen Con, uh, so uh, very like so much overlap there that I probably won't get to see a lot of it, which makes me sad. Um, uh, and it, it was funny last year I, I saw a guy at 
at Gen Con wearing an Evo hat, who was like, yeah, man, I just, you know, like it was a couple of weeks before that. He was like, yeah, Evo was, was crazy. And I talked to him about Tekken for a little while. Um, but that guy, I don't know where he's going to go. If he's going to go to Gen Con or Evo. I know I'm going to Gen Con, but uh, it's unfortunate that they put these two giant events on top of each other. Although I have to imagine that the overlap of Evo and Gen Con is not that big. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm very excited for Gen Con this year. Um, uh, we got downtown uh, rooms, baby. We got downtown rooms this year, which is which is great and which is super interesting uh, because I think it'll uh, it'll help us from like a. I I am pretty sure that we're gonna end up coming back from that and being like, oh my god, how did we ever not do downtown rooms? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's gonna be it's gonna be pretty big. But I definitely do um, want to find uh different ways to kind of interface with with Gen Con and do new stuff at Gen Con. We've been talking about like these mega huge ultra games or whatever. Yeah. Um that are like 75 people or whatever, uh almost like Model UN but more fun. Yeah, I I I think there are like actual like Model UN segments too. Um if we wanted to do that which you know, I'd consider doing that like I did both Model UN and Model Congress, because um, Model Congress was a in a in uh, forensics, which was kind of like the the I was a member of the NFL, the uh, National Forensics League, which is a joke that got tossed uh, tossed around a lot. But at um, state qualifiers for that at the end of the year, there was always Model Congress, but it was never Model Congress was never at a local tournament, uh, so it was always a thing that like if you know. If you wanted to do Model Congress, you could, right? Like there was usually a spot open, and no one, no one cared enough, um, and it was kind of a fun thing to do. So I, I'd, I'd totally be down to 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 do that again. And uh, did you do model? Did you do model UN in uh, in college? No way, right? No, no, not in college. Okay, yeah, because in college was when I did model UN. Oh, really? Because uh, a bunch of my friends were were model UN. Yeah, model UN at Hopkins was different because it wasn't for Hopkins; it was for high schoolers it was for like baltimore high schoolers and okay. the model un conference like jhu hosted a model un conference where like we made all of the shit but you could participate in it because there were never enough seats um and so extra extra college people would fill out uh countries so that you got like as many people as possible sort of thing so that's when i when i when i i, I we were talking about this and so that's when i played myanmar uh, I was Myanmar once, and uh, and it was awesome and super fun, and I was really mean to like everyone, and I I threw a, I I like kept I kept I basically like stalled the floor with like really bunk resolutions um, about the the legality of uh, like Laos, like I was trying to I was essentially trying to annex Laos through the model through the UN. But like nobody, obviously nobody on the security council cared, you know what I mean, or like or would would ever let me do anything like that. But I could just keep entering resolutions as long as I got the signatures. So I went to the same people over and over again, and I got I got signatures, and I put it up for vote like nine times. <laughs> that, that's the see, that's the thing that that's fun about Model UN when Model UN is like true to life. Then it is the most boring shit. I never found that fun or interesting. But like we, like I once did a model UN where um like I ran. The, there was a huge earthquake in in Iran, um and so a whole bunch of relief effort was organized 
to relieve them or whatever. But then relief workers came back and they were like, yo, that wasn't an earthquake. That was a nuclear weapon. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was just like drama everywhere. Uh, that shit was way more fun. Yeah, no, I, I definitely want to do a mega game this year because I feel like that that kind of like, like I feel like the, the mega games are more designed to kind of hit those kind of crazier notes because, you know, like the one of them that was super popular last year was... Uh, uh, aliens attack and like there are people that play the aliens and there are people that play the military and there are people that play research scientists and there are people that play journalists um, and they're all kind of like interacting in the space and I, I didn't get to see it or, or play in it but I, I, I want to do something like that this year that'd be great it's also probably the only way we can get everybody in our group into the same event uh, if people want to do that um, but yeah I'm uh, I'm hype I'm pumped uh yeah, how, how was the rest of uh, your week? Uh, shit, what else did I do? Um, I played WoW. Been playing a lot of WoW, I guess. Tell me about this World of Warcraft. <laughs> uh, well, so you have, a lot, you have a lot that you haven't done, right? Because you haven't seen Tomb of Sargeras, right? No, not at all. Um, yeah, so Tomb of Sargeras is pretty sweet. And then um, the other... Uh, uh, and then Antorus, which is like on Ar which is like the the final raid of the expansion on Argus. Um, uh, so there's two raids, I guess, that you haven't seen is the point. Um, but then there's also like a lot of story. Like I've run through the Argus storyline on a couple of different characters because it unlocks um, better order hall followers. And if you're somebody like me and you want to make like a hundred thousand gold a week, just like farming those gold missions, um, getting the better uh, order hall missions and um, and troops or whatever they're called. Uh, is pretty pretty important for that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's wow. It's good. I'm trying to do these mage towers on a bunch of my different characters, but uh, I, so I got the one on Baron, and then I started doing the prot challenge, and the tank challenge is so hard. Holy shit, it's difficult. Um, and this is routinely what people are saying. Like, a lot of people are trying to go 36 for 36, where you get all of the challenge appearances. I don't really have designs that are that far up there, uh, just because I only care about certain of the appearances. Um, but, man, that tank challenge was really fucking difficult. <laughs> um, and... Uh... So, so yeah, I'm actually really interested because there's a lot of changes coming into, uh, like battle for Azeroth. They're like changing up the specs, uh, quite a bit. Um, and so I'm really interested to see what that will end up looking like for all of the different classes out there. Uh, Windwalker gets some cool changes, but I can't remember what they are offhand. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, so... So, yeah, so there's yeah. that, I guess. Uh, for the people at home who don't know, I have been given seven days of playtime by Blizzardo, and so I might be, I will probably, after this, be activating that and digging back into the World of Warcraft. The crawfish have come for me, and they're yummy, dragging me back, back into the bucket. Yeah, I mean, you also have, you can get, like, the, the 7.2 mount. Um, might actually take a while to do the 7.2 mount, though, because there's, like, a bunch of different pieces to that whole thing. Hey, man, um, I did the fucking bird whistle that no one else bothered to fucking do. Oh, I forgot about the bird whistle. Holy shit, I should do those. The falcosaurs, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, don't you have to level pet battles or something for that? Yes. You have Fuck. to You have to get, um, I think you have to get all four to get the whistle. Oh, maybe you only have to do 
one to get the whistle. I forget. Yeah, the pet battles actually. I when pet battles were first released in Mists of Pandaria, I played the fuck out of pet battles. They were so fun and compelling. Because um, specifically in the like, I'm just hanging out with people, and we're really just kind of like chatting and memeing and disc. Or well, at that point it was vent, um, and uh, and we want to, you know. Uh, and I, but I want to like keep myself busy or whatever. Uh, going around and doing pet battles was like the easy, the easy way to do that. Uh, but now, but then you know, like I fell off from the game or whatever, so I am not a, uh, yeah, I'm not doing pet battles. I guess I don't know. <laughs> so, so, so I don't know if you remember, but the week that released was the same week as one of the pet battle bonuses. So I was able to use like a level twenty five boost on one of those raptors like immediately. Um, there's oh wait, so you have to get the raptor. And then so you have, you have to, to get the raptor pet. You have to do the world events, and then there's an abandoned. You have to like. I don't remember the exact steps, so forgive me. It's been been a while, but uh, I think you have to kill the mother, like like the the matriarch. Then you have to find the abandoned like hatchling. And you have to get that. Then that gives you the pet. Then you have to level the pet to twenty five, and like bring it back to where it was, and you get the mount. And then if you're riding the mount. Near where Aviana is in the world, you can see her, and you will talk to her. And, like, the story is basically, like, she's like, you murdered the fuck out of a bunch of Falcosaurus. What the fuck? And then, and then she's like, well, you can make it up to me by becoming, like, the avatar of my vengeance. And she gives you this thing that lets you, in the Falcosaurus zones, uh, attack anybody. Um, I don't remember if you need to do one, do it for one or do it for all four. Um, I think I did all four at least, just to get the mounts. Um... I think I did all four. I can't remember. So, when I but quit. do you have to kill people in the Falcosaur places? So yeah, you have to. You ha I think the first step is you have to kill the matriarch in the Falcosaur zone, um, and then that will spawn the 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 hatchling, and then you go click on the hatchling, you will get it as a pet, and then you have to level the pet to twenty five. Oh, and then you have to do a bunch of world quests with it. That was the other thing. That was fucking annoying. Every day you, 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 you put out the pet, he's, he's got a quest for you, and you have to go do a bunch of quests with him, and after, like, five days, he'll, like... Or you have to get him to level 25, then you have to do, like, five days worth of world quests, and then you have to, um... Or five days worth of quests from the pet. Um, and then you'll get mount, and the mount lets you talk to Aviana. It was, it was a whole process, it was annoying as shit. Um, and no one else was willing to go through the rigmarole, but I was like, I want to punch people, so I did. And then I trolled people a bunch, it was great. Um, wow. And everybody else that wanted to just stayed in the PvP zones. Uh, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I have been waiting for, uh, I've been waiting for Apocalypse to drop for Stellaris, which we talked about last week. Uh, I tried to play Rise and Fall, like Civ Rise and Fall, um, but I just, like, couldn't bring myself to, to get very far. I was just, like, immediately bored. Um, so I didn't, I didn't get, get too, I didn't get yeah. too far with that. I've, I fall off on, um, on, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, what's, I, I fall off on, on, Civ, I fall off on Civ much quicker now. Um, because, uh, I don't know, I, I only really find a lot of joy in multiplayer because the fact that the computer cheats just, just bothers me too much. Um, doesn't feel like real difficulty. Uh, but yeah. Um. Yeah, I wish, I, I very much agree with you, and it really, uh, 
bugs me. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what yeah. else to say say about it besides that is that it just uh, that it super bugs me that because it it's also like like I know that the computer cheats in like Total War for instance, um, but it doesn't bother me in the same way, and I almost kind of wonder why one of these is different than the other. Um, um, I, I think it feels a little bit more blatant uh, just because... Um, do I think it feels a little bit more blatant? Okay. Uh, because Civ styles itself more as a board game, especially the Civ. Um, and so it's easier to see when the numbers aren't lining up right, whereas Total War sits under a heavier obfuscation. Uh, and so it's harder, to, it's harder to see kind of like the cheat lines, especially because in, like, say, Warhammer, the factions act so differently that, like, there's it's, it's it's not all mirrored so heavily, and you can't like clearly see. It's like they have like two. That, I th actually I think that is one hundred percent right. Is that they're not mirrored? Um, because I I remember uh, I listened to the Designer Insights podcast that you linked me a while ago, where they talked with the head of uh, like the game director of. Um, uh, or maybe like a content, like the like the chief content officer of like Paradox and one or, or Paradox. And one of the things he said about um, Europa Universalis Crusader Kings, right, is that um, they don't need to have different difficulties in this game because difficulty is self-sorting by your start location because they have. Uh, asymmetrical starts so basically difficulty in the game in that game is okay do you want to start as you know spain or france or you know the united kingdom right or do you want to start as like one of the tiny italian city states right or one of the you know like brandenburg in the holy roman empire um and uh and and that like that's part of the appeal that's part of like the difficulty of the game um Civ, I don't know. Civ just doesn't doesn't quite deliver on that in the in the same way. I also feel as though because everything is so linear, like I I, I got back into uh, Civ Beyond Earth, um, because the the web that like tech web that they had uh, ended up being a very cool way to alter your play style, right? Like if you go up one way or another way, like even though that you know like the the um, the affinities or whatever didn't quite like pan out in in the best way possible. Um, the th it really did make the different games feel much different, much more different um, than Civ, which tends to just kind of feel like even in a game where I'm hyper militaristic and I'm playing like Genghis Khan versus like I'm culture focused and I'm playing France. I don't know. There's just something about like there's there's a lot of shared DNA between those two playthroughs. You know what I mean? Um, that 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 gets on my nerves, I guess. Yeah, that makes that that, that makes sense. I, I feel that. Um. Yeah have 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 uh, have you been digging into anything else? I I I, I spent a lot of time last week prepping for uh, for seven C, which made me super sad that we that we didn't freaking play. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, <it's> like, yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, something in that vein that I want to recommend to people is there's a podcast called Essential NPCs. Um, and uh, they do a bunch of different role-playing games. They divide them out into season. And the current season, which is season, season 7, is a 7C playthrough. Um, and it's a lot of fun. All the all the kind of characters do voices. Um, and uh, I, it's, it's, uh, it's been pretty neat so far, so I'd recommend that to people. Um, I'll put a link in the description. Uh... It basically let me get my 7C fix 
uh, without actually playing it. Uh, what else has there been? Um, have you played any of your other games, like 5e or... Uh, uh yeah. Um, so, last weekend I played 5e, and then this weekend I played in Friend of the Cast Mark's, uh, uh, Carrying Crown game, and then I also ran my, my, uh, my Wrath of the Righteous game. Um, so, I don't know if you remember, uh, uh, I think it was either last year or the year before at Gen Con, we played a game of 13th Age. Um, uh, and, uh, I have adopted the montage mechanic, um, because the chapter we're in in Wrath is, like, there's a lot of exploration stuff, but, um, the rate at which we play makes me think that we can't do, um, we can't do, like, real, like, full-bodied exploration mechanics. Right. Um, and so instead of having them explore, I kind of, like, give them a hook to where they need to go. And then they montage their way there. And I find that's a lot of fun. It gives gives uh, kind of the players a way to kind of express themselves in a little way without spending too much time on the nitty-gritty of exploration. Um, so uh, that's, that's something I'm glad I cribbed from 13th Age. Uh, that's cool. That's yeah, actually really it, neat. Uh, for the folks at home that don't know, um, the way a montage works in 13th Age is the party has to go somewhere. And so uh, instead of, like, doing mechanics for it, each character takes a turn describing an obstacle you encounter and how your player solves that problem or your character solves that problem, um, which I, it, it's very flavorful and I, I, I enjoyed it very much um, when it was run and I'm enjoying it very much now that I've got a, that, that um, as a mechanic for my players. Um, although one of the characters I think just basically is like uh, I cast fly on the party and we fly over a thing and he does that every single time. Oh my I, god, is that Enoch? No, no, that is not oh, Enoch. Okay. Because the way that you voiced that, it sounded like you were doing an Enoch impression. No, Enoch usually a little bit. <laughs> Enoch usually does something kind of goofy or fun, which mm. I enjoy. Like his character has knowledge geography and no one else does. So he's like like a lot of them are variations of like, we're lost, but I use my superior knowledge of geography to find the way. Um, and that's fine, right? Like that's like that's like perfect. But uh, Alexia... That almost makes me kind uh, of think that that would be a neat version of, like, a skill challenge, almost. Where, uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like it's a montage, right? But you have each of the characters kind of highlight a skill of theirs that they want want to use or something like that. And then you as the GM kind of explain a bit of a situation and then they roll a skill check or something. You know what I mean? But like you And, and you run through that a few different times and make them cycle through a few different skill checks. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like... I don't know. I mean, that that puts the improvisation on you rather than the players, but yeah, um, I feel like I don't. Know, I've also kind of been trying to move to a model of for, um, for like uh, static checks, right? Like, um, for like recalling a piece of knowledge is where this usually pops up. Um, instead of having them roll, I like basically make them take ten and like modify the uh, the DC accordingly, um, and just have that be like something you know or not. Um, mm -hmm. and then, like, you can roll if it's, like, if you're in a library or something, uh, which, <coughs> excuse me, which I think is, is, uh, a mechanic that flows a little bit nicer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, how's the Carrion Crown thing going with, uh, with, with Mark's group? Uh, it's, it's good. Um, it's, uh, a little, it's, I, I find that, like, running anything on an adventure path inherently puts it on the rails a little bit more. Yeah. Um, 
uh, which is is, is is something that just, just having played enough of these. Like, the only one that gets away from that is Kingmaker, which is explicitly designed to get around that problem. Yeah. Um, and, even, and even then, it's not necessarily the, the greatest at it, because, um, honestly, rolling kind of like random encounters through random hexes is not super compelling in a lot of ways. Um, uh, unless you're doing this kind of exploration stuff that we talked about with alternate alternate ultimate wilderness there we go i can speak yeah um but even ultimate ultimate wilderness wants you to plan out a lot of those hexes in in, in advance, yeah so i i, yeah. I well I, I think what you want to do is even if if you don't plan them out like not instead of if you're rolling on a table at least like i think the problem is is that when you're rolling random encounters there's a tendency to make it feel like it's a random encounter and you run into some goblins, but like, even just like kind of a little bit of effort to tie it into the overarching narrative, um, goes a long way. Like, like in the five E game I'm playing that uh, my friend Chris is running, um, there are some things that I'm pretty sure were random encounters, but he makes sure to put a little detail in that's like, oh well, you're they're all wearing kind of like the mark of this 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 creature that you've interacted with before or whatever, right? Um, in our case, it's like there's this hag that uh, that's that we've got a, a weird relationship with. And we're into some goblins that are clearly under her control that fight. It's like, how does this tie into the bigger narrative? And it works there, even though it's very kind of like, at least it, I am pretty sure it was like a, a random thing he rolled up under under the covers. Um, uh, that's cool. That's yeah. actually really neat, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think kind of, I think with, with Adventure Pass, there's kind of like a, a reluctance to branch out and do your own thing just because you have to eventually like meet back up and being freed by kind of having your own stuff I think is good I think you could do it with an adventure path like I th I think very probably you're doing this with Hell's Rebels at least it seems that way and that works um but kind of like if you're running it out of the out of the book week to week it's it, it's 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 hard to um it's really hard to, to hit that yeah uh I, yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, <clears throat> uh, well, uh, if you don't have anything else, I think, I think we're at about time. I guess we are about at time. Um, well, in that case, if you would like to write to us and tell us what you think of Black Panther or of World of Warcraft or of uh, random encounters in Dungeons & Dragons, you can email us at subdervisplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subdervisplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash subdervisplaygames. You can uh, follow us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, wherever good podcasts are found. Um, and also where bad podcasts are found. And rate us uh, and review us and interact with us. We love it. Um, I think that's everything I wanted to promote. Buddy, do you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. Uh, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.